You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You're listening to Done by Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. And welcome to Done By Law for Tuesday, the 1st of September, 2020. Uh, We made it for those of you that are listening in from Melbourne. We're on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am and 3CR Digital or streaming online via 3cr.org.au. We're proud to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that we're broadcasting from and pay respects to our elders, elders past, present and emerging. We're your hosts tonight, Gemma Lee Dodds, Daniel Bavtovich, and Sue Robertson. Hello. Hi there, Gemma and Dan. Hey, Gemma, Sue. It's a pleasure to be back. Yes, the 1st of September. Yikes. Do you remember? Do you remember the 1st of September? I know. It's, I, it feels like it's been a very long time coming, but thank goodness we've, we're here. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's turning a corner. We're, of course, recording in, during the um, hopefully last days of the Stage 4 lockdown, so hopefully this is a momentous historical, <laughs> historical <laughs> moment. Um, our main discussion tonight, for those that have tuned in, will be speaking with Simon Cattell, who's a project coordinator of the Your Story, Your Say project with Victoria Legal Aid. We'll be discussing the project with him and and I guess how Victoria Legal Aid has been uh, connecting uh, its own clients and people with lived experience of mental health um, with the Mental Health Royal Commission. So we'll be speaking with him later in the program. So normally we have a news in brief um, section where we we chat about recent news uh, in the show, but I'm gonna just move straight to doing a um, update in brief because we've got an update from a show that we did actually in July last year um, where you might recall it was about a novel case that was being brought by a group of Torres Strait Islanders uh, actually against the Australian government. So Dan can you tell us about about that one and and what the new update is? Yeah so you may remember we spoke to Sophie Marginaz who's a lawyer from Client Earth which is a Um, a law firm based in the UK, but Sophie was an Australian who's assisting Torres Strait Islanders to make a complaint, a claim against the Australian government in the UN, um, claiming that the Australian government isn't protecting the human rights of the Torres Strait Islanders um, by not taking action on climate change and breaching their human rights um, in doing so, given the climate emergency impacts being felt in the Torres Strait Islands. Um, Now, we promised that we would follow up and give an update on that, and it's taken this long since the claim was lodged last year for the Australian government to respond with submissions to the UN uh, Human Rights Commission to um, dispute that claim. And they're arguing that it's not a breach of current human rights, that's the Australian government submissions, um, and that the Australian government doesn't have a responsibility necessarily anyway for um, these human rights, given that they're not the only um, contributor to the climate emergency. Um, so it's not it's not the the best news. It means that there's going to obviously 
likely be a dispute uh, unfold uh, at the UN Human Rights Commission. And I think regardless of what the, the legal international human rights law position is, it's not a, it's not a good position um, for the Australian government to, to represent, you know, to, to say that they don't have a responsibility mm. in law Mm. Um, I mean, there may, there, may, there may not be a legal responsibility, but I, I, I mean, I personally feel there's at least a moral responsibility. Mm. Yeah. So it seems like they've kind of really highlighted that uh, causation, I guess, issue that we were, I remember talking with Sophie about that um, how, how the applicants in this case are going to sheet it back specifically to the poor or the complete lack of policy really the Australian government has. Um, to support these people and so yeah it'll be really interesting to see um, and I can't wait to see what evidence um, is put forward from either side I guess about that particular point. Yeah yeah so I, I, I'm not 100% certain when there will be any further submissions or decisions uh, made and I'm not certain that the submissions are actually publicly available information so um, mm. It will, we will have to keep you updated and you can obviously follow the 3CR website and you can actually listen back to the episode we did on the 3CR website um, by checking out the Done By Law page in the podcasts. We're just going to take a short break um, or listen to a brief tune. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> uh, and we'll come back in just a moment when we're speaking with Simon Cattell from Victoria Legal Aid. Councils around the country will put on just disability day events and quite a few of them will not include people of colour, First Nations people and black people. So I think it's pretty cool mm-hmm. that everyone you'll hear on air today will be a person of colour and the majority of them will be people with disabilities as well. I think when we were preparing for this show and for this day we wanted to talk about how we could explain the concept of power from the margins and why it is that we've chosen to focus on black people, indigenous people and people of colour. And I think, you know, in one word, it's intersectionality. It's the fact that people experience forms of oppression, different forms of oppression at the same time. And most people don't realise that you can't have racial justice without disability justice and vice versa. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Stories are central to our understanding of who we are how we fit in the world and our well-being. For these reasons, we believe it is crucial for the Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system to hear the stories of people with a lived experience as it considers how to reform and reimagine mental health care in Victoria. In the Your Story, Your Say project, we helped 34 people to tell their stories directly to the Royal Commission. We refer to them as the lived experience experts. Those are words from Victoria Legal Aid's Your Story, Your Say webpage. Tonight, our program looks at the Legal Aid submission to this particular Royal Commission. This submission really challenges the idea of who is the right kind of expert, whose voices should be heard in an inquiry like this. 
we are lucky to have as our guest Simon Cattell, who is coordinator of the Your Story, Your Say project. He also has lived experience of mental health issues and has previously worked in designated mental health roles. Welcome, Simon. Thanks for having me. And that's a, that's a wonderful introduction to, to the project. I'm sure a lot of the people who participated in it would, uh, would appreciate that. No worries, Simon. Well, before we get into the specifics of the project, it might be worth talking about where we're up to at the moment in the Mental Health Royal Commission. Um, it feels like it's taken a bit of a backseat in recent months because of the amount of news regarding COVID-19. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what is the purpose of the Royal Commission and how it's going about reviewing the mental health system in Victoria? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you're right. It's sort of within the, the media, it's, it's taken a bit of a backseat, but I can, I can tell you for people working in this space, we've been furiously working you know, behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, the Royal Commission was, was really set up to, to take a system-wide a view, a view on, I guess, what's working in the system, um, what isn't working, and, and what do they need to change going forward. So, Simon, have there been any criticisms of the Royal Commission process so far from people with lived experience or have they genuinely found that the Royal Commission is an important step into uh, changing the way the Victorian mental health system operates? Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose you'd, you'd probably, in terms of the criticisms, I think you'd, uh, you know, great organisations to go to are Vimeac. I think they've done a lot of advocacy in this space and, and VLA's put a lot of, you know, put their advocacy positions forward. Um, I guess, um, you know, from, um, the, from the consumer community's perspective, it's just about making sure that, you know, our views are heard and acted on. And I guess that's where the project that I'm working on emerged from. You know, there was a, there was an awareness that, you know, there are some communities that are, you know, you could say hard to reach, but often sidelined or marginalized in conversations about mental health. Um, and so this project was really about, um, you know, giving the pen to, you know, people with lived experience, people who've been at the pointy end of the system or multiple systems that interact with mental health um, and, you know, letting them identify, you know, what are those things that aren't working and, and letting them, you know, suggest what those solutions are going to be going forward. I, you know, I think that's where we've kind of landed with this final report. Yeah, well, Simon, before we talk a bit more about this report, I mean, a submission made by VLA, um, we're just going to play some audio of one of the lived experience stories um, that is mentioned in the report and that is available through the Victoria Legal Aid website. Well, in my experience with the emergency department, I wasn't listened to and uh, I, I was made, made to feel that um, I was in desperate need to be listened to. Uh, I was advised by the CAT team to uh, seek to go to the police station to seek an AVO due to family violence. Now, upon arriving at the police station, I was um, restrained, searched, and put in the back of a van and taken to the emergency department. And uh, again, I was restrained to the bed and forced to take medication against my will. It's had a huge impact on me and my two, two children and the way we look at the emergency department and the mental health system. Okay, so we've just listened to some audio there from, from Barbara. Um, Simon, can you tell us a, perhaps a bit more about 
um, how important these kinds of stories are and, and what Barbara's story is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, it's been a pleasure working with Barbara. And, and I guess um, to give you context, you know, Barbara and I, she talks in a, in a you know, LinkedIn post that we, we did recently um, about the, the project, about her experiences um, coming into the inpatient unit and, um, you know, that she, uh, she ultimately was seeking um, help for, you know, some family violence issues, but those family violence issues were assumed to be um, delusions. You know, I, I, I put quotation marks around those terms. And, and so instead of having that family violence, um, you know, uh, understood and responded to, um, you know, it was characterized as not real and something needing medication. And, you know, Barbara talks in her story about, um, you know, being uh, detained, being um, physically restrained um, by services and the trauma that that's had on her, but then also on her family, you know, and I think that, I think what her story and, and, and something, and I guess something that also comes out of Barbara's story is um, that she showed an incredible amount of resilience to escape the system. She... Um, you know, she made the system, she, she worked the system in a way that enabled her to escape that kind of power and control from it, in, in a, you know, because the system wasn't helping her, it was harming her. Um, but not everyone's in a, in a position um, to, to, you know, think strategically because they don't have the resources um, to get out of that system. And so a lot of people find themselves caught in it forever, being harmed rather than helped. And I think that that's something that Barbara wanted to communicate in her story and she was really upfront about, which is that, um, you know, this system should be, um, you know, treating people in the way that they want to be treated and for the things that they want to be treated um, for, you know, and in her case, it was family violence. Barbara's story and many other people with lived experience talk about looking for help but experiencing harm rather than getting help, mm. particularly with Barbara's story being looking for help in a family violence context but um, then having a negative experience with not only health practitioners but the police. Um, yeah. Has it shown itself to be a common theme where someone looks for help and then finds themselves having a negative justice system um, consequence, for example, criminal charge or um, finding themselves involved um, with the police when it may not have been necessary. Yeah, look, I think a, a lot of people have, have spoken about that disconnect, you know, that disconnect between what they wanted and what they got. Um, certainly in terms of their interactions with police, I think one of the overwhelming sort of um, themes coming through this is where there were interactions with police, you know, it wasn't a positive one. You, you would have uh, found in the report that one gentleman smoke, uh, spoke about the fact that you know, he was hearing voices and, and he had a relationship with the voices and the way that he wanted to, he, he had ways of um, relating and engaging with those voices. And that's a common experience within the consumer community um, where their responses to it are, are not pathologizing, but um, developing a healthy relationship to voices. And he was doing that. And, uh, but he came to the attention of police and, you know, rather than getting support or, um, you know, the support that he wanted, you know, he was physically restrained and maced and, and left on a bed, um, uh, uh, restrained on a bed overnight uh, with his eyes untreated. Um, and, you know, that's where he described as his hell in the mental health system starting. 
So I think where people do interact uh, with some of those first responders, um, um, certainly that's where a lot of the harm is occurring, but but also that, that is occurring within the, I guess, the mainstream mental health system or acute mental health system, yeah. So it seems to, seems to me that there's really, um, there's kind of twofold thing going on there. The, there's a there's a social lack of social understanding generally in the community about how how you interact with people who are having either mental health episodes or events that intersect with their mental health and the mm. so that's all of us generally yeah and there's the first responders who it seems to me need a lot of training a lot more training or something what's going on there yeah, yeah, and look, that was a really strong uh, theme in the report, both in terms of the issues, but um, experts spoke about the fact that um, there needs to be more training for police. Um, but then other people just said that police shouldn't be involved. You know, it's not really a police issue. You know, um, and so there was a real question there for, from some experts that I don't really understand why um, any of these issues require a policing response. So it's definitely something to consider. I guess that's where that connection comes. You know, if someone in the community comes across someone that they whose behaviour they don't understand, and they feel because of that lack of understanding that they should call for assistance, the first person they call is a police officer, and that's that really um, there needs to be. See, there just seems to me to be a real need for a broader social. Um, education and understanding as well as those first responders. Yeah, you know, one of the other strong uh, recommendations that that came out um, towards the end of the report is the need to reframe our understandings and responses uh, to mental health. And and that's whether you call it mental health as well. Mm. Um, You know, um, people said that if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, you know. So if if everything's going to be treated like a medical problem, um, then you're only going to get a um, certain types of responses. It's interesting that you're talking about, um, you know, the concept of turning the concept of mental health on its head and looking at it from a different lens and thinking about, well, have we actually construed this in the correct way, period. Mm. Um, I was wondering whether you think, you know, has there been any concern or criticism, I guess, from the, the experts about whether the mental health uh, Royal Commission itself has been properly construed? Has it asked the right questions to get the, the answers which they want to give? I guess it didn't come through. Uh, look, a lot of con- a lot of experts had concerns and scepticisms about the system in general, you know. Mm. So, and that emerges from from long historical experiences of trauma and, you know, human rights breaches, you know, that have occurred in this space, and and ones that really, um, you know, they talk about have not been acknowledged. Um, but I suppose that you know that that question of whether it's been set up or not didn't emerge in this project um, and the reason for that is that um, really uh, this was an opportunity for them to control the pen you know they yeah. had um, you know they were they didn't have to respond to uh, to you know um, a set group of questions um, we structured the way that we ran this this project in a way that um, really really articulated the the rights of people who are engaging in this process really clear accountabilities on myself and and the other staff members who were who were interviewing and working with them you know and having really clear complaints processes uh, to hold us accountable when we don't do those things and so 
you know, I think that some of the concerns that they have about the, the system in general didn't necessarily, but, you know, uh, you know, there, were de there was definitely feedback about things that we could do better and that was really good. Um, but those broader, that broader systemic skepticism didn't necessarily come through in this project because I think that people felt they had a lot of control over what was happening. And did that only happen with your project and therefore your submission? Or was it, did, did you have a sort of a leading impact on that? So did the way that you did it influence others? Oh, yeah, I don't want to overstate um, how good, how good we are. No, there's a lot, there was a lot of other organisations doing great work, you know. So <laughs> shout out to, um, you know, the Victorian Mental Illness Awareness Council, which uh, was doing similar work in that space. And I recommend people um, look at their work. You know, shout out to, um, you know, the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation um, who were engaging with First Nations people and the Mental Health Legal Centre was doing work as well as Tandem, who's the care organisation. And so, um, you know, I can't speak to speak to their um, projects. I certainly know, you know, Vimiac is a peak body and they're run by consumers. Um, but, yeah, in terms of our project, uh, you know, we, um, uh, we've generally had really positive feedback. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Simon, you um, you notice when you read through the the report and the submissions that there's a lot of positive feedback about the ARC or the Assessment and Referral Court system and this uh, collaborative legal and non-legal support um, service that exists. Um, mm. One of the things that um, appears to be lacking then is a widespread access to these kind of legal and non-legal collaboration and services is that something that you think might be an area that needs to expand and improve and become something that's easily accessible everywhere in victoria all the time look as you say the the, the feedback on the assessment and referral court as well as the drug court was you know glowing people said that it was kind of a turning point in their engagements with, with the state you know the, with police and um with other services that this was kind of the first time that they felt um, that they were supported, that they had someone on their side. And, and it's really interesting to, you know, that, um, you know, people felt like they had their mad, the magistrate on their side, you know, and um, that wasn't necessarily their experience in, in other settings. I guess uh, the, the people who we spoke to, you know, some of them said everyone should have access to um, everyone should have access to, to ARC. And so I think that that was something that, um, you know, one or two of the experts did say um, really strongly. I guess we didn't talk to people who hadn't used it. Um, so I can't, I can't speak to, I guess, the people who didn't necessarily get access to it, but I know for the people that did get access to it, they said everyone should, um, should have a go. I guess it's something where if you don't know, you, you don't know, because yeah. uh, one of the problems, I guess, that you might find is that there are people in the community who don't have access to this court. They don't either. They don't know about it, yeah. um, and they just fall through the crack, or it's not something that's available in their region. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. And I think that's a really, you know, there's a there's a whole group of experts that we need to talk to there as well. Such a wealth of knowledge that needs to be tapped there. And mm. from, you know, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that that's, you know, we're really explicit in using the language around expert because it is a form of expertise, you know, and, um, you know, that there is a, people talk about the discrimination and stigma and, you know, um, 
a lot of it is around not being believed, not having a say in your own life, let alone having any expertise to speak beyond that. So, um, you know, that really touches on, I guess, one of the strongest themes, which is that people felt that, you know, the system discriminates against them by taking away their agency. The minute you're diagnosed with a mental health issue or people talk about being tagged, your life changes, you know, and that you start to live your life inside of the labels that people have applied to you, you know, and um, uh, that those were things that um, people feel didn't need to be part of the system, but were. So Simon, was there any particular theme that seemed to emerge from, from talking with people with lived experience? Yeah. Uh, you know, there were, there were lots of themes, you know, around human rights issues around you know, health information and whatnot. The, the theme that came through most strongly, and you can find it in the report, we, we sort of, we tabled, I guess, the, the percentages or the number of people that have, um, you know, uh, been identified under themes. It was power and control. So power and control in the mental health system. You know, so people felt that once they entered that system, they were uh, subject to power imbalances and that they were controlled by that system. Um, you know, people spoke about the fact that, you know, one, ex one expert said, you know, um, you know, they had concerns about medication, but they say, you know, I was too scared to raise it with them. You know, talking with the other patients, I was told, if you say no, you'll just, you'll just stay longer. So I took the medication and it left me sedated and drooling. You know, so people have a genuine fear of speaking up, of having a say in their treatment. You know, uh, another person spoke about the fact that the system impresses itself upon you and it imprisons you. You can't think from the medication. People stop calling your phone. Relationships are gone. Your life changes. Your person is dead. But you're meant to go on pretending that everything is normal. And you never have any choice about the matter. It's an invisible and symbolic prison. You know, and, and these were themes that came through across so many stories. You know, there was a story about a woman who desperately wanted leave from hospital because she wanted to see her cat, Cinnamon, you know, and leave, you know, you need to be granted leave um, by the psychiatrist. And she was pushing so hard for days and days saying that she was concerned about Cinnamon. And um, ultimately, she learned that while she was in the inpatient unit, Cinnamon died. You know, and, and when she was telling me the story, she was in such pain and distress that this had happened to her, you know. And so it can be anything from these from forced medication to, you know, not being able to see your cat cinnamon to having your, um, your family violence reframed as a delusion requiring more force and control, you know. And, and I think that those are themes that, um, are not well understood within the community, but I know that the experts really want the community to know about and the Royal Commission to act on. Simon, if people are listening tonight and they want to find out more about um, Legal Aid's report or, I guess, to, to share their story with you, uh, where should they go? Yeah, so I think probably the easiest place to go would be our website. So it's legalaid.vic.gov.au. And then um, there's various links on there, but we've, uh, we've got pages there on all of our Royal Commission work, some of the individual stories where people have consented to talk about it publicly, and then also the full report. Uh, and unfortunately, a, an interview with me um, <laughs> uh, on there. But the two experts on there speak very well, very well. And of course, you can get those links on the 3CR website or the Done by Law Facebook page. We'll share those. 
Diamond, thanks so much for joining us tonight. It's been so great um, to speak with you and to, to hear about the great work that you've done and that, that's going on at Legal Aid. So we really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you on behalf of, uh, I'm sure they'd be okay with me saying, but thank you on behalf of all the people who told their story. They want the, the impact of this, these stories to be far and wide. So it's, it's great that you're um, putting a microphone to them. I think we should be thanking them. Thank yeah. Okay, that's the program for tonight. Thanks for listening in. Uh, this has been done by Law on 3CR, 8.55am. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. This has been uh, Gemma Lee Dodds, um, Daniel Bacevich and Sue Robertson with you. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.